Welcome back to the Artists Who Parent podcast. It's been a crazy amount of time since I last did a podcast, and I'm just coming out of intense COVID, finally recovering, and finally ready to share this incredible time I had with the one, the only, Ellie ben This podcast guest is a dear friend who has been a rock and inspiration for so many years now. If you ever host a party and need someone to help with all logistics, this is your guy. He will teach you how to carry chairs. He will run around town picking up wine that you forgot. He will tell you all the things that everyone else was too afraid to tell you to your face, but in a super sweet way. Ellie Benhiun. Ellie grew up in a tight-knit, large family on Chicago's Gold Coast. The crazy thing is that even though Ellie oozes sensitivity and soulful depth, he never thought of himself as an artist growing up. His childhood home was the center of a bustling Jewish spiritual center, or Chabad house, and Ellie at first thought that this was his destiny as well. He studied, became a rabbi, got married at 23, had a child, and was running his own Chabad House Spiritual Center when he faced the hard truth. This was not what he wanted of his life. It's not easy to change course. It's not easy to face the fears and judgment and take the next right step. It's perhaps the very hardest thing to take a choice that will separate you from your family and everything you've ever known. But Ellie did all of that. Our paths converged with Ellie after he had left his post at the Chabad house, moved away from his young son and got in divorced, and moved to Brooklyn, where he signed up for a writing class that my husband was running, where his life suddenly took another unexpected swerve. In this podcast, we dive into Ellie's journey to believing into and pursuing his passions which evolved into writing, music, and acting, and becoming creative director of his own company. We discuss the emotional processing of making the tough decisions to follow your dreams, even when it means seeing your kids less, and why sometimes that's maybe the very best thing you could do for them. Ellie, you are such a loving father and an inspiration for how you give both to your son and to yourself. Thank you for taking us on this journey of your life, may continue to be fulfilling in all ways. And thank you, as always, for your honesty. All righty. So thank you so much, Ellie, for being here. Um, it's so amazing, you know, all of our history together and everything you've done with Hevria and everything we've built together. It's so great to have you on at this new chapter in your life um, and to hear all of your thoughts um, Thank you. I'm excited to be on. Yeah. Um, and I actually was thinking of just jumping, you know, when we first were talking about the podcast and you mentioned something that you would be interested in talking about involving um, your own challenges as a creative person following your own desires and also balancing that with um, parenting 
Um, and I, I actually was thinking about just jumping into what, like, just what are your thoughts on that? What, what are the things that come up involving that? Yeah. Um, so it's a, a difficult conversation to have because it's, uh, so personal. Um, and there's, you know, so many accepted like views on what parenting should look like. And, um, to kind of go against that grain, um, a lot of times I feel like I'm, uh, you know, I have to like morally justify (laughs) the choices I've made. Um, and, um, and the truth is that I don't know how things will ultimately turn out. And maybe, you know, I will look back on my life today and be like, oh, shoot, I really screwed up. So it's, it's really, (laughs) it's really difficult to talk about because it's, uh, it's happening in real time. But of course, this is why I love you and Alad and uh, our relationship, uh, you know, through Chavria, because that's exactly what we love to talk about are the the hard stuff. Yeah. Um, So, uh, you know, for the the listeners um, who may not know who I am, um, I am, I'm 34 years old. I'm a dad. My son lives in Montreal with his mom. Um, He's eight years old and we're divorced. Um, We have a really great co-parenting relationship and um, things are, you know, civil and positive and amicable between us. And I'm very fortunate, you know, to, to have that. Um, I, up until the pandemic was living in New York and would drive up to Montreal once a month to see many, my son, and I would see him basically on the weekends. So like I would arrive on a Thursday night, um, and then he'd stay with me till like Sunday night. And then I'd go back to New York. Then when COVID hit, uh, the borders were closed and, um, there was no way for anyone to get into Canada. And so can I just ask, how often were you doing that? I was doing that once a month. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Pre pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So actually the last visit that I, um, had with him was in February. Um, before the pandemic, the last visit that I had with him was in February of 2020. And I was scheduled to go see him, uh, in March. And actually this does connect to, to you and I, because I was, um, I had that trip to Israel booked for Hakel, um, at the end of March. Mm -hmm. And I was going to go to Montreal right before that trip. Yeah. In the middle of March. Mm Um, and then, the pandemic came and there was no way for me to go to Montreal. So until August of 2020, um, the borders were completely closed. So I didn't see many from February to August, which was excruciating. Yeah. And uh, finally they opened the border and allowed for anyone with like a, um, you know, a relative, a dependent you know, something like that where you can get across, but tremendous amount of like requirements. You need to have proof that you're the dad, um, COVID tests. There was no vaccines at that point. And even then you never know what was going to happen at the border. And this was like an insane, like process of finally being able to see my son after being away from him for like six months or whatever that was more. 
Um, and so I finally did see him. And then basically till now, the pattern has been that I go to Montreal, I'll fly there or drive there wherever, depending where I am. And, uh, every like three months. And then I stay with him for a month, um, which has been really nice. But, um, yeah, so that's how my parenting <laughs> looks like. Um, I, I FaceTime with many every single day. Um, and it's the, the joy of my, of my day. Um, so that's, yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, that sounds like a pretty cool arrangement, you know, that he can have you around for a month. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's really special because doing the weekends before the pandemic, oh, that, that wasn't enough time yeah. to really feel like we live together and have like quality time. And now, even though it's less frequent, I'm with him for a full month. I mean, yeah. it's really, yeah, it, it feels like I'm much more integrated in his life. That's cool. Um, okay. So then I'm curious of specifically, what are you trying to, what is coming up for you that you're saying morally, you're justifying to yourself that other people might not understand. I'm curious what in, like specifically is that about? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think like a question that I get very often is like, do I end up, do I see myself ending up in Montreal mm. um, to actually live with my son? And um, I used to, it used to like technically not be an option because my, the work that I had was always like in the States, like in New York mm -hmm. and very much based on like being in America, in the United States um, now I run my own business. I've been nomadic for two years and I've been operating my business. Like right now I'm in LA. Yeah. Uh, so there's no longer that like, um, technical geographical need for me to be anywhere really. Right. And yeah, I think like people really, you know, when they hear that I have a son, it's like, Oh, so do you think you'll end up living there? And that's a uh, really intense, you know, that's, that's a big question. So what is driving you right now not to be there? And, um, you know, because the listeners don't know about these incredible journeys you've been in in the last, you know, year and a half where you're going. I, you know, people don't even know where you are. You're constantly traveling. So I'm curious of how that plays into the decisions that you're making of, why you aren't there right now and what what is it about your life right now that you are um taking seriously in in your travels and your journeys sure sure um so if it's okay i want to like go back to like how this all started like how how it even ended up that i wasn't living near him okay um and i and then that really like the story kind of unfolds and like, that's where I'm at today. So, um, when many was born, when, um, our son was born, we, Luna and I, his mom, we were living in Chicago and running a Chabad house. Um, and then we, uh, got divorced and, and separated when many was a year and a half old. 
And uh, Luna, being from Montreal, she moved back to uh, to Canada. Um, <clears throat> so, um, and I stayed in Chicago to continue running our Chabad house. And I would go and visit, you know, visit him, fly from Chicago back and forth. Um, about a year after that, I left my Chabad house and I moved um, to uh, Montreal to be near Manny, um, to be near our son. And so for about a year, I was living, uh, you know, in the same city as him and saw him multiple times a week. And it was, you know, pretty traditional co-parenting arrangement that you'd see with like divorced couples. Um, I was lucky enough to have a job in Montreal uh, during that year. Um, but then that job didn't work out anymore. And I found a job in New York. Um, and I basically had to move to New York for work. Um, you got you know, as an American living in Canada, it's not easy to just find, um, work, especially if you're not a French speaker. Mm. And, um, so I moved to New York. Now, one of the first things I did when I moved to New York was go to Elad's, uh, writing workshop, oh, nice. um, at Jeremy's house. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea that this would be the beginning of a really exploratory journey for me yeah. of discovering my creativity and artistic side and my identity as an artist. Um, and very quickly, New York became this like super, super nurturing place for me to discover writing and music um, and acting. I joined the Yiddish theater in the city. So before, before that you hadn't ever identified as a creative artist. Not at all. No, I, I knew that I was like somewhat creative, but I thought it was like this shtick that I had. Like I had this ongoing shtick since I was like a teenager where I was always like a little bit different, not really a rebel, but like my hair would be a little longer than was like Right. You were just like quirky. You're a little quirky. A little quirky. Um, but being popular was much more important to me. Doing the right thing was much more important to yeah. me. Fitting in. So I was always like mainstream. I, but within the mainstream, I was the one who was different. So right, like, right, right, right. I was, yeah. What about, what about that writing workshop really touched you? So... It's, um, the writing workshop itself was amazing. I'm never going to forget like every minute of it was powerful. Um, actually that's where I met Henny, um, and who we've become dear friends since then. Um, like it just, actually we didn't even meet each other. She was just there. We realized later that like, just like a lot of my New York life started in that place. Um, but the what happened was at the end of the workshop, I walked over to Elad to introduce myself. He and I had never met. And uh, I had been following his writing for years. He was a huge inspiration to me. And when I, the, my first, first like um, inklings that I might be changing my life from being a Hasidic, Chabad, Orthodox rabbi, he was somebody that was also exploring, you know, really articulating his inner exploration of leaving Chabad, leaving orthodoxy. I mean, not at the time leaving orthodoxy, but he, he was willing to ask questions and like his inner journey really resonated with me. And I would sit for hours just like 
reading his stuff and not only his stuff, your stuff and Yocheved stuff, like all the stuff coming out of Chavriah. And I walked up to him to introduce myself like, hey, I'm this guy who's been following you on the internet for like seven years. <laughs> um, you know, nice to meet you finally. And he was like, oh, so do you write? Are you a writer? I'm like, and I was like, no. Um, I mean, I love to write. I've been like writing in my diary since I'm a kid, but like, no. And he's like, why don't you send me something? Wow. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, send you what? Like, <laughs> yeah, like I can't send you anything. Like nothing that I write can be published. Like, yeah. And he was like, who said anything about published? Just, just send me a piece. Okay. And I was like, uh, okay, all right. And I went home and I immediately wrote two pieces. Whoa. I just, yeah, it just like flew out of me. I didn't even have to like think of what it would be. It just like happened. One piece I told him like could not be published <laughs> and had to be private. Another one I said you could publish if you want. And that was my first piece on Chavria. I don't even think it was edited um, it was pretty much published as is. What was the call? And, um, so Lila, uh, titled it, um, how my journey, how my search for solitude ended in Brooklyn, something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it was just about how I ended up in Brooklyn from Montreal and whatever. It was a super like vulnerable piece. And that was the first time that anything of mine had been written publicly. Wow. And uh, yeah, I I started publishing pieces pretty frequently, I think, after that. And then, I mean, it was it was very quickly a lot of my creativity just just came pouring out like my music. And yeah. So like once you went your whole life without really thinking of yourself as a creative and artist and then once you sent you know had one piece published and recognized and it was just kind of like an easy portal to be like well I could do other things too is that like I could yeah it and it was also that. like this isn't a shtick like this is actually me like this isn't a feature of who I am it is who I am and mm-hmm. a lot would talk about that a lot like um that creatives and artists like that identity the like Chavria is a place where you can see your identity as an artist and as a creative as a primary element of who you are and not this like shtick that you kind of do to you know entertain people that's so interesting I never really thought about that before what is the difference like what is the difference between it being a shtick to entertain people and something about who you are like how what's the how does it feel different um I mean, for me, it's been the first time that I was able to see any kind of horizon in my life Mm. that felt like I have an identity. Um, When I left my community in Chicago as a rabbi, um, I was left without any identity, without any purpose. And I was coming from a place where... I felt like I really did have a purpose. When I was a shliach, when I was a rabbi, I truly felt like deeply that this is my purpose in the world. And like, I was literally created to do this. 
And when I left that, I was giving up that identity and that purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so feeling like you're creative. So a shtick would be more just like something you're doing to entertain, like please other people versus um, something you're doing because it's part of a greater way to change the world. Is that what you're saying? Like that it's, that's well, for, for me, like, I'm not very interested in changing the world like <laughs> that. <laughs> I've given <laughs> that was, uh, you know, in a previous lifetime, <laughs> it's more about for myself, like right. being, finding purpose as an, as to exist. Like right. if, when I am writing and I am playing music and I am singing, whether it's for an audience, whether it's for myself, it's, I feel like I'm alive and I have a, a reason to exist. And there's something in the world that makes sense for me that feels like, Oh yeah, this is it. Like it doesn't, I, it doesn't require a, any kind of uh, agenda beyond that. Uh, um, so is it, is sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm just trying to understand this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, is a shtick an agenda? Is that part of the shtick? Is that you're trying to like do something to like, no, I think the shtick means it's just like a secondary element. So like, yeah. let's say uh, writing for me would be just like something I like to do before bed to calm my mind uh-huh, or uh-huh. when I wake like up self-care. in the morning. Yeah, self-care. Yeah. And I'm not putting that down. Right, right, right. But like um, everything else in my life is the secondary thing. When uh-huh. I write and uh-huh. when I'm playing music and I am involved in like a creative pursuit, that is what animates me um, and requires no effort for me to be motivated to to do. It is like everything else is like a, a more premeditated, okay, I needed, I need to do this in order to, to yeah. achieve that. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Okay. I get it. Okay. So you're totally <laughs> animated. You're excited. You're all of a sudden you're writing, you're acting, you're mu- doing music. Okay. So that's where yeah. we're at. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I realized like being in New York, uh, has this very nurturing community, this, this space that is like very welcoming to beginner artists. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, in New York, I could be jamming and playing music every night of the week if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't need to be, you don't have to prove yourself as some kind of performer or some kind of, you're not competing against anyone. There's no barrier to entry. If you want to play, somebody out there is willing to play with you and there's a space for you to do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that's like super accessible in other cities. Like, right. you know, in other places, like if you're not good enough, if you're not, you know, uh, if you're not confident enough, you just won't have access Um, at least for me in my experience and New York opened itself up to me like crazy. Like there's so many people I was like, just um, being able to grow as an artist. And there's so many opportunities like joining the Yiddish theater. And uh, I got my GED in New York so that maybe I can go to school later. Um, Like these are all things that were available to me that in other cities wouldn't be. And um, the more time passes, the more I, truly see like my identity and my career and my future as an artist. And, um, I, 
if I'm in any other city, I feel like I will pretty much just like reach a plateau mm. of what my ability, my natural talent and ability is. Um, which is by the way, not too great. Like I don't, I'm not some kind of musical genius or like, uh, some artistic like prodigy. I, I'm a pretty like mediocre, like I love to sing so I can sing pretty well, but I'm not like, like I need to work. I need to grow. I need to develop those skills in order for it to become something that can, you know, that I can rely on as a career, as a future. So, um, it's it's pretty like clear to me that if I lived in Montreal or I lived in Chicago where, where I am from or you know any other city than New York I I feel like I would kind of reach a certain plateau I'd have 50 people around me who would always tell me I'm really good at what I do and would yay yeah you sing so well and you have such a good right, voice right. and yeah. and I'd be just happy with that feedback and I'd never discover truly what my ability is what my potential is Okay. Okay. So you're realizing like you need to stay in New York. Okay. <laughs> and, but then what, <laughs> but then what happened? Oh, oh. So how did I get on the road now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean like, so how, I mean, how is this part of now you're evolving your journey and your parenting journey? Like, um, I don't know, like how does it connect now that you're feeling, um, it's important for you to be in New York. So yeah, what's the continual dialogue that you're having now in terms of? Right. So, I mean, this pretty much like I, I am on the road now. Cause like when, um, when COVID hit, yeah. um, New York shut down and I was living in a one bedroom basement apartment and I didn't want to be stuck there. So I gave up my apartment, went upstate <clears throat> and pretty much have continued to be nomadic since then. But I still see myself as like, you know, going back to New York. I still see New York as my base and where I can continue to grow as an artist. And um, it's still away from my son. It's still not in Montreal. So that is where it like comes down to when people ask that question, like, do you see yourself eventually being in Montreal? It's like maybe one day but right now i still need to do that work of disc- of discovering my skill working on my skill growing and mm-hmm. and and uh um and and that moral equation of sure, sure. like do i go to montreal and be available to my son every single day or do i prioritize cultivating who I am as an artist so that I have some sort of um, future that I can rely on financially, but also just to sustain me as like a human. Um, And so that's, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of questions coming up. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so is the idea of that you really want to get to a, a professional level um, in which you can base, like get, like that you really do have a vision of being a professional creative musician is, so I'm curious about that. Like, is that where you're really um, aiming for is one question. Other question is still curious about the journeys around the U S like what's that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, which one should we do first? <laughs> um, yeah, let's do the first one. Um, like what, yeah, how do you, because at first when you were talking about it, it sounded like 
it was just important for you to be in the scene, be able to have these experiences and grow as an artist in general. But I'm curious of the professional element of it. So um, my like most immediate goal is to get into school, um, either liberal arts program. Um, yeah, most likely liberal arts program. Uh, I'm very lucky being a resident of New York state. There are, um, grants and scholarships and, um, also being a uh, part of footsteps, which is a great organization that helps people, um, you know, who are entering a more secular society. So they're, they are also helping me, you know, just financially and also logistically get into schools. So, that is like the a first, like very immediate, like logistical thing, like for me to be in a, in a, an environment where I can develop my skills. So that that's number one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the college would be in the, in the arts, like in the creative arts. Yes. Yeah. So for film, theater, music. Okay. Yeah. So what, what is your, what is your dream then? Huh. Um, my my dream is that I am able to um, find some sort of lane in the arts to uh, be successful um, in a commercial way. So mm-hmm. I don't know yet which one of the lanes that is going to be, whether that's going to be writing, like, uh, you know, writing books or writing scripts um, or music so performing and singing yeah. um, or in, in theater and film. Yeah. I, I don't know yet. Yeah. Well, that's awesome that you really are going in that direction. Thank you. Um, okay. So quick segue. What was the, so what is the impetus then? How does that fit in with, because now you could go back to New York, you know, full time. Yes. Yes. So how come not? Yeah, so I got myself into interesting situation where uh, uh, once I gave up my apartment in New York, um, when COVID hit, um, I went upstate and I was kind of like able to pursue a lot of the dreams that I've had that were never really like an option in real life, Mm. Um, like living on farms, Mm -hmm. um, road tripping across the U.S., um, just discovering America and, um, living nomadically living on the road. And I realized like, Ooh, this is a pretty good time to do that. Yeah. And, uh, I just started doing that. So like from April of 2020 till like October, I was all over new England. Um, and that was exciting. And then it started getting cold. (laughs) So I was like, okay, let's start going south. Towards yeah. like North Carolina, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee. Um, and I just kept going and, and um, I developed a really good routine. There were a lot of, you know, challenges on, on figuring out how to make it work for me. But like, I, I just started staying in places for as long as I could. Like, I didn't have any kind of goal of like, how long I'd be in each place or anything like that. It was just you know, COVID was like this endless thing. It didn't look like there'd be any end to it. So like, and I, New York was shut down. So I just kept going and I kept going West and it it just 
turned into this incredible trip. Um, I started working with horses um, as much as I could. I was also growing my own business. Um, I have a branding business, which is like how I survive. Um, and it, you know, it became pretty amazing. Um, and now I finally made it to LA two years later and yeah, and now New York is open and the world is kind of coming back to normal and I have to make my way all the way back across to New York if I want to like start school and also be closer to many, to my son. So that's where I'm at now. I'm ready to like end the trip. I'm ready to end these travels, wow. but I have to make my way across the country again. So do you feel like those travels made you a stronger creative? Absolutely. Um, I think before getting on the road, I it was still a little bit of a forbidden like fantasy and that maybe I should just focus on like building a business or getting a job and then like being a, a singer or a writer can be like this little cute thing I do on the side. Um, and being on the road, it's just so clear to me like what I gravitate to, uh, what I spend my time with. I've been by myself uh, 90% of the time yeah. on the road. Um, and I've spent most of my time in super rural towns in America and um, just by myself. And like, I've really, you know, I've developed a really healthy, disciplined routine. Um, and when I am happiest and healthiest is when I'm pursuing, yeah, sure. uh, my creativity. You feel like you, um, you like yourself more? Because I like myself it. a lot. Yeah. Like, you, feel like, you feel like, I'm not saying that you didn't like yourself before, but being alone. Being alone so no, I, that's a really good question because I, I, I don't think I, I liked myself before, before. I mean, maybe in, in a way that like we hopefully all like ourselves in some way, but like, I, I think I, I, uh, I saw others as like who I would maybe want to be like, and then I tried to like, steal from them and try to bring that on me. But I didn't see myself as an actually like living the life that I'd really want to live. Mm. And now I do. Very wow. much so. Yeah. Because just of how you view yourself, like not your actual things you're doing. I mean, it, like what, what was that shift? Just cause. It's just like I've uh, I've just taken the power and the and the agency to to do the things that I want to do. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So I'm curious of like what you wrestle with. Like I feel like what I you know I do feel like a lot of um, creative parents need to do a lot of. Um, moral justifying for themselves of why they do what they do. And I think that that's also why there's like, I feel like there's a dearth in creative parents, like parents who are actually pursuing the arts. You know, um, I feel like all the people who I know who are creatives um, tend to, outside of like the Orthodox Jewish world, because in the Orthodox world, there is such a push towards having kids that it, like people have kids earlier and different things like that. But yeah, I feel like most of the creatives that I know don't have kids, you know? Um, 
anyways, and I, I feel like it does, I, I, I feel like I have tried to justify for many, I always justify, I'm constantly justifying my decisions, whether it is, you know, in New York, I spent, um, like, I forgot what it was like 350 a month on a studio space, even though we couldn't really afford it, you know, Mm. or, you know, a lot of financial justification, like, well, it's important because this is how I'm going to be a better parent, you know? So even if it's this, 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 um, And one quote that I really like, um, that I'm curious if you resonate with it is, um, it's something like, I think it was uh, Carl Jung. He said, um, like the, the thing that's most detrimental to a child is the unlived life of a parent. Hmm. And I feel like that is so much of how I live my life is, um, of course there needs to be a balance with that too, but like the idea of, I need to feel alive, you know, in order to be the best parent, you know, and I'm wondering if that is something that you also um, really resonate with and that it seems like that's part of your decisions and staying in New York and. Yeah, I I love that Um, because yeah, that does resonate a lot. I think um, our modern day Carl Jung, Glennon Doyle, um said something similar like her i think her um her books really like get into that specifically as it relates to motherhood um but yeah i i i feel that way so deeply that i am a better father i am able to be the best version of myself with my son um and for my son because i am living a life that is so meaningful and, and healthy for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also know that when I wasn't living this way, when I was kind of, uh, suppressing a lot of who I, who I was, I was not a great, as, as good of a dad and as good of a co-parent. And, um, yeah, that is, deeply resonant for sure mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i i imagine one day you know many when he's old enough you know he does ask me all the time like how come you don't live here why can't you live here and um but you know when he's old enough to really challenge me um i'm sure it will come up in a more serious way like now we have this beautiful loving relationship we just love and cherish every second we have together and we have so much fun together but when he's older you know I'm sure there'll be a time when he's like how come you weren't here right and I hope that I will be somebody that um that he could be proud of that he could he could see viscerally and he could see in my actions and and in what I've pursued that um you know, that I, you know, this is what it's like to live an actualized life, Mm. um, to be, to, to live a life where you, where you can choose and where you can pursue the things that are meaningful to you. Um, if he can take that away for his own life, that uh, would be, you know, I think worth it and make, make it all make sense. Yeah. Have you ever had that conversation with him? Has he ever asked you 
like what it sounds like he is asking you so have you ever explained to him like this whole idea of like the creative part of it how it's so important to you or yeah um not no not in like a nuanced way Mm. um more in terms of work and um i i try not to get into too many rationalizations because i don't think there i don't think there's a good rationalization like I should be there with him every day. He deserves to have a dad who is there every day with him. He, I don't want him to feel like it, it's, it makes sense and it's okay that his father's away. Like it's not, he should, he, from, from a child, the, the child that he is deserves the best in every way possible. And so the only thing I can tell him is that, I miss him when I'm away and that I think about him every second and that I wish I could be with him and that I'm on the road now and I'm pursuing this life and that I hope one day we could live together every day and that that's what I want. And that's, that's what I wish for. Um, so that's, that's really what I try to impart to him is that like, I think about him every second and I, I, that that's all I want is to be with him every second. I think it's interesting though, because I'm, I'm curious about that because I guess how you were talking about it, like a rationalization versus meaning that it's not really, I guess, true, you know? So that like, of course, it like there's there's a pain in two people's needs yeah you know and of course it's hard like it's hard if if it's hard for him that he's not there that it's it's hard for him you know but yeah I'm kind of curious about that that I feel like um It's an interesting lesson because you because you do want him to self-actualize, you know, and yeah. you want him to choose choices that also, even if they create a certain amount of pain for others, it's not always so easy for others. You want him to choose something. So I feel like to me would be an interesting explanation of hey, like I art and music and all these things are so important to me and it makes me the best, you know, best person I can be so that I can feel strong and I can love you like you deserve to be loved. And that all those things are in New York. So I need to be there to get stronger so I can come to you and love you because you deserve so much love. You know, and I think I'm just saying, I'm curious of your thoughts on that because I feel like that's a really powerful thing I almost feel like you're avoiding that you're not an avoidant person you know yeah for sure so you do not think so do you disagree um no first of all the way you said that was so sweet and I I'm sure that will help me uh when I do have that conversation with him so thank you um I think maybe what I'm afraid of is I would rather like kind of take the hit, so to speak, than 
for there to be any implication that there is something in my life more important than him. And even if it's myself, like at this age, I don't feel like the nuance of that would get communicated. And what he would hear from me is that art and music is more important to me than he is. Um, and I, I like right now at his stage of development and growth, like I can't take the risk of that being the, what he get the message he gets. What I, what I'm trying to achieve as an alternative and this I've been trying to, to model for him since he was a year and a half old is that truth is not binary. And it used to be for me, there used to be a right and a wrong and they cancel out each other and there can only be one right and, and everything else is wrong. And what I have tried to model for him is that there is a there is a there can be two truths happening at the exact same time mm-hmm. and there's one truth which is the pain and the the regret of not being with him every day and there's also a truth at the exact same time that i need to be in new york and i need to be somewhere else and that one doesn't need to justify and cancel out each other in order to live you know and and, and exist so like I want him to know, I want it to, I want to validate his pain that I'm not there a hundred percent without qualifications. And then I also don't apologize for being away. Meaning I don't, I don't come at it with shame. I don't come at it with like, um, you know, guilt. It's, they both live together and modeling for him that there can be multiple truths is really important for me because I think that's, that's one of the most like unhealthy elements of the life I used to live as, you know, an Orthodox religious uh, Jew, which was, I was not able to, to, to contain multiple truths. And I've done that with him also, as far as like my religious identity, like I don't practice he, his mom and I are raising him to be religious and that's okay. And I never try to rationalize why that makes sense. Like he can be fully Chabad and observant and I cannot be, and they're both beautiful and okay. And, uh, and modeling that for him is so important to me, like more important than even trying to like, make sure he gets it, you know? Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I mean, I love that. I, I love the idea of many truths happening at once. I think that's a really, really important way to live life um and to to teach that um i i absolutely love that yeah i think it was interesting how you that that phrase like i don't want to i don't want him to think there's anything more important than him is that what you said um yeah i think that's interesting it's like an interesting, um, like how our, our parent minds think or like the different ways in which we have guilt about different things. You know, like yeah. I think, I don't think I have specifically had that one. You know, I have different ones of just like, I think more just of like, oh, did my moodiness or my anger at this moment, did that make, you know, my child feel 
Did they really feel hurt? Did they feel, you know, I think of that stuff. Yeah. But I think that's an interesting, I would say almost fear, you know, that like an interesting, like not that he doesn't think anything is more important than him. I think that's interesting. It's just interesting, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's funny because like I would add, I would like say, except for my own well-being, like we were saying earlier, right, so right, that I can be the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think like he is still like, even in that, he's still like that he knows that in my life, my highest priority is his mm-hmm. well-being and that, um, I like, again, I don't think it's a contradiction. Like, I don't think there is like a, a linear hierarchy of my well-being, then my son's well-being. Right. And right. like, that's, I guess what I'm trying to say. Like they aren't linear. Right. And, For sure. For sure. and I think children, um, maybe it's because of the programming that we have in, in our culture and society that things are linear it would be so easy for him to translate it as linear that I have my thing then comes his, like right, you know, right, they right. are both the highest thing. I actually had a conversation with him about this the other day. Like, yeah. um, Oh my God, we were, what was it about? Um, oh, we, I showed him, <laughs> um, I showed him a video of a heart beating. He wanted to see like what a heart looks like. Yeah, it's crazy. And so I like went on YouTube and like Googled like heart beating and he looked at it and he was like, Ooh, that's gross. And I was like, yeah, it's gross, but it's also like the most important organ in your body. And he was like, well, it's not the most important because like the brain. Right. And I was like, yeah, but they're both the most important. Right, 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 right. And he was like, well, it can't be the most if there's something else that's more important. And I was like, many, there, there, there can be two most important things at the right. same time. Right. And uh, like, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong scientifically, who knows? But like the, the idea that like there doesn't need to be this linear hierarchy is just so important to me and how, I, I, how I'm raising him, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And and like I said in the beginning of the the like podcast, like I don't know, I could be wrong. This whole like I I am aware and willing to accept and acknowledge. Like, yeah, it maybe maybe you're maybe at some point like I'm gonna look back and it, you know I fucked up, but like at least in my day to day life, I don't have regrets. I don't have like like I I feel so positive about. Yeah this and um you know so who knows yeah 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 no definitely and I I I, yeah I just feel like um I'm just gonna think about that for a second actually Yeah. I think that the hard, one of the hard parts about parenting is that every child inevitably has to experience pain because the parent can't be everything that they need ever. Right. Right. 
And, um, yeah. And like, I think maybe also your situation allows you to see exactly what pain might happen, you know, come from, you know, I yeah. mean, you know, every parent might be able to pinpoint, but I think you can say, okay, this in particular might create some of the pain, but we don't always, we don't always know. Um, but also from the pain is always growth and resiliency. You know, I'm, I just finished the book Bittersweet by Susan Cain. Hmm. She's the one who wrote uh, Quiet, uh, Introverts and for Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. Oh, uh, wow. And she's a, she's this brilliant book. It's so beautiful. And she just, it's a very Jewish book, actually. And she, um, she just talks about like how sorrow and longing are very important experiences that we need to go through, we need to experience, and you know, how it brings us you know, higher. But um, another thing that I've been really thinking about is um, I also got a book about codependency. Speaking of Glennon, mm. speaking of Glennon Doyle, I was listening to her podcast and she had on Jen Hatmaker, who was talking about this codependency book. And they're like, oh my God, yeah, we all read it. We all love it. So I got it. And the concept of codependency is this author defines it as losing yourself in the name of helping another, which I thought was so interesting that you'd probably find interesting as a out, former outreach, you know, professional, you know. Um, and I, I've been thinking about how I feel like the pressure in America for parenting, I think there's this idea that you're supposed to be codependent you're supposed to lose yourself in the service of helping your kid. Yeah. You know, that the parents are not supposed to have their own lives. They're not supposed to be living like the best life they can, you know, and of course there's balance, there's a balance, but like, um, I just think it's so powerful when you can look at your parents and you can say, they're really happy. They're really, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, um, the, I, like the quote you said earlier from Carl Jung, like the, I, every time a child hears like, and I think m- many of us have heard that from our parents. Well, I, I did this all for you. How yeah, could yeah, you, yeah, yeah. how could you give it all up? And, and it's in every context, religious, not religious, like the arts, not the arts. There's always this martyrdom that a yes. child is somehow supposed to shoulder yes. and, and then return to their parents and then creates this just generational cycle of like, and it's, yeah, it's, I think like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's something that we've like, it's very embedded in our culture. I mean, like even in the way that we like approach, like, like whenever people get married, it's like, Oh, this is the end of your life. Oh like, yeah, Let's party hard. So that, right, right, you know, right. cause you're never going to get to party again. And like, right. And then before you have kids, like every time someone has a kid, it's like, okay, no more sleep, um, no more. And it's just like this attitude that your life ends at 30 years old or whatever age it is that you got married and had children. And it's so, it's so sad. Like, yeah. And it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. I read this book about this woman, American woman who moved to France and her opinions on French parenting. And she said that in France, you go to the playground, you sit on the bench 
you just chat with the other parents while your kids play. Right. And I, and like, and then in America, it's like the parents are always hovering, like trying to play with their kids. I was like, yes, because I hate, like, I'm always just like, go, go. And I feel guilty about that. Other parents are like so involved. Yeah. I thought that was interesting, but we only have a few minutes left before my kids come in and are like, so what I, I like that you're embracing your life and that you're, what advice would you give to other parents who feel, ah, they're my kids, but uh, yeah, this is so meta, like this is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to give a, oh, Ellie's here. Just yeah. Oh, hey. <laughs> want to say hi? Do you remember Ellie? Yeah. Hi guys. Good to um, see you. Anything that you would like to share? Yeah, you can have one. Um, yeah, I mean, I really think that when you can prioritize yourself and your, your mental health and, um, find the things in your life that truly make you tick and make you function. Um, at least for me, I know that I am the best version of myself when I'm with my son and that he is, you know, you know, loves who I am as a dad. And, um, hopefully at some point though, the two things will click that prioritizing yourself doesn't have to mean that your child is second, you know, second place. And yeah. Beautiful. Well, Ellie, I think that we are possibly some of the greatest parents on earth. Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) I think we're really rocking it. Um, Thank you so much for being here and being in our lives. And I'm really excited for your your journey, your creative journey. Thank you, Rifka. This was so much fun. If you want to check out Ellie and see all of his amazing writing and what he's up to, you can look at his website, which is elliebenhune.com. That's E-L-I-E-B-E-N-H-I-Y-O-U-N.com. If you want to get his expertise with his creative studio specializing in brand creation, you have to go to growmybrand.com. That's G R O mybrand.com and of course you can always check him out on Instagram as well where you can see all the fabulous photos of Ellie traveling the world living the time of his life and also living a very grounded beautiful family life until next time <laughs>